brought to you by Prep Matters and the Self-Driven Child. I think the one thing that we miss in test prep a lot is we have to be talking about the biases. We have to be talking about the racial inequities. We have to say, I pull up like the report. I'm like, most kids are getting this score. Most right, kids right, that right. look like you or have your income, they're getting this score. This is not abnormal. You are not abnormal. This test is broken. How important are standardized tests? Why isn't my child doing well in school? Do you need a high school diploma to apply to Harvard? Education is one of our most cherished institutions, but it can also be one of our most exasperating. And it's where almost all of our children go from toddlers learning their ABCs to critically thinking adults stepping out into the world. I talk with experts in helping teens and tweens navigate the transition to adulthood in order to bring you the tools you need to help grow resilient, self-driven, and successful young adults. I'm Ned Johnson, and this is Prep Talks. Our guest today is Jen Jesse, aka Jen the Tutor. Uh, she's a lawyer, tutor, mentor, and activist with one foot squarely inside the academic world and the other out, working within the systems that students are in while also working to improve, reform, and change those systems. To wit, while helping under-resourced kids excel on college entrance exams, Jen is a test-blind and test-optional advocate. Her mother, a former school principal, Jen knows schools and school systems better than most of us. Jen holds her BA in political science and a BS in sociology from Virginia Tech. And just because she could, she also completed a history major while graduating summa cum laude and is a member of Phi Beta Kappa, underachiever. A law school grad of the University of Virginia School of Law, Jen is a member of the Virginia State Bar Association. A sought-after expert on standardized tests and the issues surrounding the issues of those tests, Jen and her students have been featured in The Washington Post, NPR, Oprah Magazine, Forbes, The Wall Street Journal, and many others. Jen, thanks so much for joining me. I mean, I sound so impressive. You, you know? are so <laughs> <laughs> And you know, and my mother's also on the school board, so I am second generation overachiever. So that's- uh, Forever phenomenal. an educator, right? Forever an educator. You know, and I, I think for me, I- I pushed away against it because I was like, okay, I'm just going to be a lawyer because the civil rights movement is over. I can't go march, which I thought at the time the civil rights movement was over. Um, oh, if only was, you had been right. Yeah. And so naive at the time. And then I decided I read Brown versus board and decided I wanted to be a lawyer. And then after law school, I was like, you know what? I don't need to run away from being my mother. I'll just be my mother. So <laughs> that's how we ended up here. So yeah, but I've watched her essentially do almost every single level of education. And then I started in special education um, after law school. So it's been a very fun journey. Hmm, I love that. One of the things I'd love to talk about, I know we're going to go deep on talking about standardized tests uh, since you and I both live in that world, mm -hmm. um, but before sort of selling ourselves with those things, <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd love to sort of take a broader scope and talk about, um, well, two things. Well, to begin with, the challenges of working within a system to help kids, you know, where they are with what they've got to face, mm -hmm. while also working on the systems and knowing that they're all sort of systemic issues that are deserving of changes. Yeah, I think 
when I started my test prep career, so I started under uh, No Child Left Behind, which I'm very worried that we're about to go back to that model of mm. after school tutoring and having essentially I was not qualified. I mean, I had a law degree. I had a history degree. I had a I mean, I didn't have a history degree. I have a sociology degree. I have a political science degree. I have a history major. I refuse to pay for the additional cost <laughs> of a third, a third degree. Um, and I started with just going into schools completely unqualified, untrained, and delivering educational services. And while I tried to do my best, I did not feel like I was doing the best work of my career like I am probably now. Mm. I didn't have any training, I didn't have any background. So when I started doing And was and was that common of your colleagues? Was that was that oh, was that yeah. a generalized oh, experience? I was probably had more degrees than most and it was just random people being hired under no child wow. behind and i do worry about these new tutoring models that are going to pop up after the pandemic and where that's going to lead so i do worry about that but i don't think and i saw the inequities there they were very evident in that space um because we were going to schools that just weren't performing well but i did not see the inequities in sat and act initially because i was working as an SAT and ACT tutor. And when you're working in that space after school, kids are coming to you, you're only seeing kids at a certain level because they can pay. So I never realized how inequitable the testing was until I started doing free tutoring. And the reason I started doing free tutoring, um, my mother, Lily Jesse. I was, I moved back into the house after breaking up with somebody and I came downstairs and there was a kid there and my mother said, you're going to tutor him. <laughs> and that's how I started doing free tutoring. Hashtag and, leadership. Yeah. And she's like, you're going to tutor him. I knew at that point, there's no point of arguing with my mother. So we, I said, come back tomorrow. I'll tutor you. And so he comes back with somebody else. And I said, who are you? Um, and they go, and he's like, well, he said that he was going to get free tutoring. So I figured I would get free tutoring. And then they couldn't make it to my house all the time. So I said, I'll show up at the school. And the kids went around the school being like, Miss Jen is coming and she's here for free tutoring. And they uh, created a group themselves. And that's really how a lot of my work happened. But I started seeing scores. I mean, when I was doing private tutoring, I was seeing scores maybe a thousand, a nine hundred was rare, right? When I started doing free tutoring, I started seeing 800s. I started seeing kids at 15 and like people would start referring people. And I would just ask why, what were you planning on doing if we didn't have free tutoring? And they just said, not go to college. And mm. when, as you know, if somebody's getting a 15, a 16, they're just not taking the test right. So right, right. I look like a miracle worker because I'm like filling all the bubbles, <laughs> like something <laughs> like that simple. And these kids would go up from 15 to 18, 19, very quickly. Yeah, yeah. They and, just and, for, and, and if I may, for folks who don't understand standardized tests in, in yeah, its kind of nerdy true. way, was we explain to people kind of what that means in terms of percentiles. Uh, what kind of a change does that really look like? And what kind of what 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 difference does that make for them when they're applying to college? Right. I don't think there's a school in the country that would probably let you in under an 18, like 18 is pushing right. it too. Yeah. So 18 ACT, 900 SAT, you really don't have that many options. In Virginia, right. I think you would have maybe two to three options at most. And that's 
pushing it. Right. Um, so I would get them to a thousand or uh, sometimes I would have kids go from I, my recent kid went from a 15 to a 20. And that's just basic prep. And that means that that kid was not going to college or not didn't feel eligible for college, looked at their score, looked at, you know, the average score for SAT, the 25th percentile, the 75th percentile, recognized that they were not eligible and then opted out. And what I noticed with my affluent clients, and you and I bo both work with both, is affluent clients, when they have an SAT and ACT that's low, they're like, okay, let's pay for tutoring. Mm. And then let's maybe adjust the list. Like that that's the normal calculation. With my students who are not having access to tutoring or don't even think that when they read online, okay, you can only go up two to three points. Right. And you're at like a 14 or a 15, you're like, well, that's not gonna really get me into college. So you're like, there's no point, right? If I'm going up two to three points at, if I'm at two, then I'm at 17, at three, I'm at 18 for ACT. That's really not, going to help me get into college. So they opt out themselves. So the difference between a student that is under-resourced and a student that is not is that that student is adjusting their list that is not under-resourced and the students that are lower, they're just not going. So this argument that we see a lot in the test optional space, well, the essay is a barrier. Well, you know, college letters recommendations is a barrier. That is all true. And I would burn down the system without hesitation if you gave me a match. <laughs> but the number one thing is these kids are not going into the pile at all at certain levels. And if we don't make an adjustment, you're not going to see them show up. And you're not, they don't tell their counselors. They don't tell their parents. They're just like, oh, you know, I'm just not going to college. I think I'm going to focus on a trade. So they mentally recalculate what their options are. So can I stop and repeat that mm -hmm. back? If, if I, if, so, so I'm clear on this, um, because these scores have power that arguably they shouldn't. And yeah. um, when kids score low enough and get the message that they're not college ready. And they see it on the report. And they believe, and we should point this out to folks. There are benchmarks, and this is partly, this probably goes back to, to your early history, Jen, of the no child left behind. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that um, uh, the college board and ACT did to for this battle for market share was to convince state school systems to use one of those two, two exams as a high school exit exam, much like in Virginia, yeah. there's the standards of learning. And so to have this be a tool, not for individual students, but for school systems to, to, to say, where are our kids doing? The ACT would say, here's the number that says you're college ready. Yeah. And so, um, so what you're saying is when, when kids would see, I got a 15 and it says not college ready, they would believe that. And they would never even apply to college to see whether colleges thought they were college ready. Well, they you know that test prep is not normalized in certain cultures. Like mm -hmm. it's normalized for me, right? It's normalized for you. It's normalized in certain schools. But even in schools, I would have kids come in and be like, um, like they would only be there because their parents told them to be there. Or I never saw anything below an 18 when I was yeah, in yeah. private. And I was at schools where that should have been common. So I was at... Um, under-resourced schools in our right. area 
the average score was below that. So I wasn't seeing 50% of the population. That's just the truth because they, they knew that. But I also think, you know, I I work with mostly uh, Black and uh, Hispanic Latinx populations, Mm -hmm. and they already feel outsider. So when they see that message of not college ready, it's just another indication to them, oh, the one thing I hear a lot is I thought I was smart. Right. I, now, I must not be as smart as I thought. Right. And it's playing into their own internal narratives. And so even I, I, I normally get people for the free group because somebody did it. And then somebody else is like, listen, I know that you don't want to prep because they, they might talk among each other. A lot of times they hide their scores, but they say, I know that you might not want to go to prep, but I did it and I was out of 15. And like that, they can have the honest conversations. Right. I can't. And then they put them, they put me in contact and I say, just give me one or two sessions. Just give me one yeah, or two yeah. sessions yeah. and let's just see. And if you don't feel good after these one or two sessions, and I always start, if I'm on the SAT, I give a very specific example. I always start with test one, section three, problem seven, the one with, you know, the in terms of and all of that, like interest rate problem. Right, 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 right. I start with that and I like just break it down and I'm like, I want you to know that the SAT is designed for you to fail and let me prove to you how. And when they (laughs) see that, they're like, oh, it's not just me. And I, I think the one thing that we miss in test prep a lot is we have to be talking about the biases. We have to be talking about the racial inequities. We have to say, I pull up like the report. I'm like, most kids are getting this score. Most right, kids right, right. that look like you or have your income, they're getting the score. This is not abnormal. You are not abnormal. This test is broken. And I just show them different ways that the test is broken and how every answer is designed to trick them in order to get them to trust me. And that's yeah. the only goal is to get them to trust me. And then a lot of times moving them from the SAT to the ACC because the SAT here is so normalized. Right. We use calculators for most of our curriculum. So it doesn't, I can't go in without a calculator or the grid in section where you have to write it in. Mm-mm, that's not really going to work for most students. So having them look at the SAT and the ACT be like, do you see how this is more simple? And also you don't have to do all these problems. You have to give them the tools to be the own I always say, like, people are like, oh, my God, you save now. My kids can save themselves. They just need the right resources. And so I, I love that. I mean, that's, you know, when you sort of think about kids going through the process, if they feel like they constantly have to be saved rather than they have the tools now that you've you know, empowered them to be able to save themselves, it's a remarkably different outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think they just have to know that this test was designed for you to fail twice three times at most, yeah. right? maybe four, and these outcomes are normal, it is not about you. And I think the more kids hear that, the more we say that as test prep professionals, the more we, you know, and I think a lot of times when I talk about this, people will say, well, no, kids can do it, blah, blah. And they try to convince me, me, yeah, that, yeah. Black kids, <laughs> that black kids can do this. And I'm like, 
I'm not saying that they can't do this. Right. I am saying if the average score for, you know, other populations is 1100. Right, right, right. And the the black kids and Hispanic kids and Latinx kids and Native kids and all the Native American mm-hmm. and indigenous population, if they're scoring lower, if you and I sat down with the family and a kid came in at 900, that's typically four tests, right? Yeah, 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 and yeah. they have to be excellent where the other kids have to be average. And that's a problem. Yeah. And so one of the things that I try to emphasize is we cannot prep our way out of inequity. We just cannot. We have to say our students deserve to have the driver's seat in their admissions and therefore should have options. Optional means options Mm -hmm. to say this test represents me or this test doesn't or go to a school that says we don't believe that test represents anybody. So it gives students options in the same way for AP classes. They can decide AP tests. They can decide. I just want my students to have options and that's it. Let me, I'm going to circle back because I want to just fill out a couple points for, for people who are listening. Mm -hmm. Um, um, this, for the ACT, which people on the East Coast kind of know more, the SAT, the national average is right around a 20. Mm-hmm. And so, and a f- score of 15 is what, like 20 per- 20th percentile there, there, thereabouts. And so if Jen can explain like, gosh, those last 10 questions that you just didn't have time to answer. Okay, that's right. But fill them in because you're going to guess two or three of them, right? right? Because these tests are for better, well, okay, for worse, you know, are based on uh, uh, on, on, on creating a bell curve distribution. Yeah. A few questions can move things a few points and going from a 25, excuse me, going from a 15 on an ACT to an 18 or 19 on the is moving from, you know, 20th percentile to 40th or, or getting close to 50th percentile. And it makes a world of difference. And, and what's interesting, of course, with college admissions is that they know the scores, but they don't really know what you know. <laughs> I mean, I can manipulate a test in a day at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's, and it, it comes down to population, cultural, cultural responsiveness, yeah. right? Because, um, for me, I find that a lot of English as second language learners, right. the SAT is too jargon heavy, right? right? So moving them to the ACT, but then also it's a lot going on with the ACT. So you have to manage the stress and you have to manage the emotions. But I think the one thing that we don't talk about, we do talk about how the, it impacts the Hispanic population. We talk about the Latinx population. We talk about the indigenous population, uh, Alaskan uh population, we talk about the black population, we don't talk about how this test robs everybody of their time. Mm. Like I think about my students who are fluent, live behind gates, you know, I've, I've gotten to know like the country clubs and things like that. I think about how many Saturdays and Thursdays and days I took away from each one of my students sitting mm. around the table, two to three hours of homework a week, test prep, uh, tests, you know, test after test after test. I don't usually use a lot of practice tests anymore, right, but right, right. I, I, and this year in the absence of that, I had to build better humans as opposed mm-hmm. to better test prep because I didn't know. And the outcomes, I have had more presidential 
more scholarship, more merit aid this year than I've had in my entire career with tests optional and a student saying, for these schools, I'm going to submit my score. For these other schools, I'm not going to submit my score. And I'm instead of focusing on test prep all summer, I'm going to just focus on my service. Those kids have gotten more money than my kids that are perfect scores. That's just mm. the truth. So for folks who are listening, um, I, I imagine a lot of people understand test optional, but, but mm-hmm. you know, what's the thumbnail um, history of kind of what happened this past year in terms of accelerating long-term trends in test optional? Well, okay, so Varsity Blues lied to us. Let's start with that. Um, Varsity <laughs> Blues was supposed to bring about this wave of reform, and I was excited, and then it didn't happen. Um, Varsity Blues being the the incident Rick where Singer, Rick Woo! Singer, and but most people know it by like Olivia Jade and yeah, yeah, Becky. Yeah. Um, but you know them so varsity blues was supposed to be about this perform uh after people bribed their way into certain name brand schools that didn't happen so then we had covid happen and we could not gather in mass spaces so a lot right. of my students had their tests canceled actually some of my students that i've worked with this year in my um i have a, a black girl admission support group that just kind of happened this year they were like it's felt like this is part of the culture, right? We take the test. We've been leading up to this point. It's something off the checkbox. And you're telling me they didn't believe the colleges. And I think this is a byproduct of living in this fake news era that those colleges were saying, you know, test optional means optional. And that means that you don't have to submit a score. If you have a score and you like that score, submit it. That's optional. But if not you can choose to move forward without it. One of my students said to me, so you're telling me it's been important for the last however many years, but all of a sudden you can do your job without it. How am I supposed to believe that, right? Right, 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 right. But she didn't have a choice at one point because her test got canceled. Um, She was cut for space reasons. She didn't have a choice. And she was like, I'm not gonna push my application out and forego early admissions. Right, so right. I have to, I don't, I, I'm not comfortable, but I have to move forward. Right. So optional, uh, to get back to your, what's the soundbite for optional? Optional for me needs to be reframed to say, just like you do AP and you decide what AP courses to take, you decide mm-hmm. what, you know, dual enrollment courses to take, IB courses to take, rigorous courses, honors, not honors. You also have the option to say this score doesn't represent me. Mm-hmm. What optional is presented as is pity, like, oh, if you can't do it, you can't be rigorous. You can't. That's not what it is. It right. just puts you in the driver's seat of your application to say, let me pick the best things that are going to represent me. Just like you're not telling certain stories in your essay, mm-hmm. you can also not tell a story with your standardized test. We had uh, Akil Bello on last summer. <laughs> and, and, you know, you're, you're, so for folks to know, Akil Bello is, uh, was also a lot, is, and has been a long time uh, test prep guy in New York, just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant working with kids and incredibly interesting to follow on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, and also works for a group called Fair Test, which is a nonprofit organization committed to the reformation uh, slash diminution, diminution, that's the right word, making smaller yeah. the role that uh, uh, standardized tests play. Um, and and his point was, was use different examples, but exactly the same as yours, Jen, that he's like, look, 
lacrosse is optional and debate club is optional and ballet right. is optional. And if these are things that show, show strength, great. Uh, you know, if you're great at, you know, particularly for, for kids who are, you know, maybe great at standardized tests relative to what they did in ninth grade. Awesome. But for all the people who have, who've been just killing it all the way through school and this test for reasons, mostly bad, but g- good. If they don't align, th- then don't show it. Right. You know, right. you know I don't, I don't show my JV soccer sure. tape because <laughs> well, and that's the thing is like, you know, one population that I, I forgot to mention is I have ADHD, students with disabilities also. So I hear parents come to me and they're like, your kid, my kid is not a good test taker. And I always say, what if I just told you that the test was designed for them to fail? It's not that your kid is not a good test taker. It's that this t- test is designed for your, any kid, any kid It's designed for you not to get the best outcome the first time. That's, that's true for every student. Most yeah. students do not get the best outcome on their first test. It usually takes two to three. But for a certain population, it hits a little bit harder. So it's not that your kid is broken. It's that your kid just needs opportunity to show. Something you've heard, and I'm sure makes you want to throw someone or something out the window, and I've heard the same thing is, well, okay, that's great, Jen, but don't we need a standardized test? Don't we need a standardized objective way? I'm putting air quotes around the word objective to evaluate kids and compare kids, you know, one versus the other. We don't have this parent trap situation that everybody pretends that happens. Like we don't have this Lindsay Lohan, one's living in London, one's living in New York. Uh, I forgot, no, California. I just want to I'll trust sure. you on it. Yeah, it's California. <laughs> um, we don't have this one. We don't have these kids are the same. And we we don't judge them the same in any other area. We don't judge right, essays right. the same. We don't judge like when we look at their GPAs. We is, don't judge the GPAs the same because is your poetry better than my, my than my football skills right, too, right? But like even when you talk to admissions professionals, they say we know the trends for this particular school. Um, we look at the the school profile. A school profile is made for almost every school in the country. I don't know a school that doesn't have one. Right, so right. the schools set the profile. They show like the data, whatever. So the it's everything is made within context, right? Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. so. Why would we need something objective when every else thing else is not objective and it's fine? But also, if these people are telling us, these admissions officers are telling us, I could do this process without the test this year, mm-hmm. then that means that they've been doing it four years before. But they, I think the thing is, is like what one of the things that I set out to answer when I was interviewing people, uh, admissions officers and things like that is, where do you, where do you use the test? And I think that's the question parents need to ask. Where at what stage do you use the test? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of I thought it was used at the end. That's what test prep has taught us. It's used at the end to say Johnny or Sarah. Uh, actually, let's make it Sarah or Sarah. There just happens to be two people. They both play the oboe. It's always the oboe. They both play the <laughs> oboe. They both go to debate practice. They both have the same life. They both have two parents. They both have the same income. They both, you know, they're both the same race. They just happen to be living in the same different parts. And it comes down to one factor, the SAT of the ACT. And it's 1530 or it's 1520. And obviously Sarah won wins because she's a 1530. I've not, I've, I've heard of some schools that are doing that. And the best way for parents to figure that out is to ask them, 
when you use an SAT or ACT, at what stage do you use it? Do you use it at, most schools are using it at the early stage to say, okay, we're looking at the GPA, cool check, good, you got it. We're looking at the SAT, ACT, it's not out of the range, fine. And then I've heard from a lot of people, we don't go back after that. There are some people hmm. who who are small liberal arts colleagues that say, yeah, I can go back one more time. But it also comes down to institutional priorities. How do we think that these legacies are getting in? Do you think that a legacy is coming in with a low SAT score and then just getting pulled out of the pile early? No, they're not, right? Uh, like athletes, uh, donors, children, pol political children, uh, the children of politicians, um, you know, anybody who's an institutional priority, people from Wyoming, it could be random things that are institutional priorities. And those, you have to just ask. And what I tell parents is don't just ask one person. Mm -hmm. Ask another person. Does that line up with the other person? And then ask a third person in an admissions team. Talk to multiple people. Then talk to other schools. And you'll hear the same narrative. And the schools that are really heavy, test-reliant, like people love to say, Georgetown, 93% of their admitted class had test scores. Right. Georgetown is Georgetown. Thanks for letting us know that Georgetown likes test scores. Everything that they said indicated that they like test scores. They were emailing students back to say, please submit your test scores. Right. So we know who Georgetown is. If your kid is not a good test taker, don't apply to Georgetown or apply and just take a risk and see what happens. Right. I want to go back to something you said as well. You said you know, a lot of these students, your students, and some of my students as well, we can build on the skills and get them to another skill level, right? right? right, right. There was an article today, um, it was by Julie Park, it's test prep isn't the answer. And it was brilliant. It goes into uh, the new Caltech test prep and or test free movement at Caltech. And then also, you know, how test prep is not always effective, right? Right. Um, I'm going to say a couple of things about that. First and foremost, any, I think one of these, what these studies miss and what you and I know is that most of these kids who get high scores have been tutored for other things. Like not just they were tutored for this test. They were tutored for their AP. I've been working. There's some kids that I've worked with in the past that I was a year from them taking that AP class. I worked with them for a year, then I worked with them when they were in the AP class. These students are highly specialized because I've been working with them for a long time, and then we just kind of fold into test prep. Hmm. So a lot of these students are starting with a lot of tutoring in the in the front end. So of course, they're hitting really hard the first time they take the first test, right? They're hitting hard on their PSAT. They're hitting hard on their first SAT because they've been prepped multiple times in different ways from tutors. The other thing is they talk about, you know, how test prep is not effective. They're like, okay, well, it's like 50 points. Well, 50 points at 1,400 and 50 points at, you know, 50 points at, at 10, 50, or 950 to 1,000 and 50 points yeah. at 1,400 or 1,450 to 1,500. That's a huge Different. Right. So when we look at these studies that look at group tutoring versus one-on-one, -on -one, duh, one-on-one -on -one is better because I get to know the student and I get to, you know, essentially make tiny micro adjustments that right. matter. Well, and there are a couple of things that are interesting. You know, I, I, you're, <laughs> one thing we know of, of College Board and the SAT spend, oh, what, 
80 years saying you can't prepare, you can't prepare, you can't prepare. Mm -hmm. Derek Bach with that study that the average increase was like 12 points. I mean, just because they were really committed to saying that you can't, that the, because it, the SAT threw itself out as, as equivalent to an IQ test of an aptitude test. This mm -hmm. is, this is fixed. This is immutable. Um, you know, th therefore, you know, anyone who claims to test prep work works is just, you know, is stealing your money. Then of course, when they collaborate with Khan Academy, they turn absolutely on their head and say, look, this, this reflects academic skills. Mm -hmm. And so you, so of course you can prepare. Um, I know that ACT had that big meta study where they found that the, the really the only helpful and, 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 and certainly the most helpful um, preparation was one-on-one. -on -one. And what I know was it was a lot harder to do this as a class than it was doing it one-on-one. -on -one. It's always harder because you're, because students are different, right? Like there's always going to be a student, no matter what you do, that the test is not going to reflect them. And right. I would say one out of 25 or one out of 50. Um, I don't know the actual number. Um, but so, so one out of, let me repeat that, but one out of 25 kids where despite all the effort and their hard work, your hard work, the score doesn't reflect who they are. And it's devastating. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that student, I mean, I'm thinking of a particular student right now. I'll probably text the mom when I get off. It's, I mean, she told me, and when parents are like, my kid's not a good test taker. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, yeah, I yeah. usually am like, okay, let, let's see. But we would do everything and the score, the practice test score would come back. It would be fine. And then drop three to five points every time we took the test. Like there was just something about that environment that wasn't working. Yeah. And so optional gives that student the option, but we got that student up to a certain level. And I remember the recruiter sent me, it was a, a athlete, a recruiter sent me something back and said, we need a letter saying that they can do it. And I was like, I'm sorry it's a difference between 18 and maybe 20. Do you actually think that there's an academic difference between a child that's yeah, yeah. 18 and 20? I wrote this long fluffy letter that I did not even believe in because I was like, I know the kid's prepared because it's just this one instance, right? Yeah. And what I was going to say, you know, one of one of the things that I always reflect on, because um, you may, may mentioned this before, that that kids can look at a score and be like, yeah, I thought I was so much smarter than this. And I know there if there are people listening to this who who are thinking, yeah, come on, you know, I, I I took this test to degrade and and it completely reflected where where I where I am, you know, I'm who I am as a learner. Design most of the time. Yeah, and what I my, the way that I've come to think about this, and I love your what love your feedback on this is that for people who do well on standardized tests, they believe that they capture demonstrate how smart they are, how academic they are, whatever word you want to choose. And people who underperform relative to how they perform in the classroom believe that the test misses or some doesn't capture how capable they are. And I would say that both of those are true, you know, in that you don't by luck get a 1400 on the SAT unless you know some stuff, but there's also all, you and I both have had broad experience of working with kids who are very capable learners that, you know, demonstrate that week after week, year after year in school who kind of go blah on the, on the, on the test. And my, you know, your, your, your point about a kid who she tested a 20 and then, you know, kept kind of flaming out on the test itself. I think one of the challenges with people thinking that this is a, again, air quotes, people can't see this yeah. objective test is that the subjective experience that different test takers have in the testing environment can completely overwhelm what their objective knowledge or skills are. I'm, I'm going to take it back to when I was younger, right? I was in a school 
Um, I was very lucky because our school, our IB program, when it started, I started with AP and then they started IB at our school and they made an intentional commitment to be diverse. Like they just Mm. really did a great great job and they still do it. One of the best programs, I think, in the country. They have the results to prove that. I, it was hard for me as somebody who was in all of the advanced classes to understand. I was like, I mean, all of you could do this. You just choose not to. Like, mm. I was just a snob at that point. Um, all of you could do it. And that's what I was hearing. You and I would have been friends in middle school. Yeah, anyway. Like, I was hearing, uh, like, and it's hard for you to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. So I got in this argument on Twitter, which is where I argue the most. Um, I stopped arguing on Facebook because I was like, that's what Twitter is for. But I got in this argument on Twitter and they're like, um, you know, they said I was in part of a uh, anti-test conspiracy. And I was like, actually, that's a great idea. I'm going to do that. Um, and then they said, you know, I, I went to school and I got everything I needed and it's not something that you don't learn in school. And I would say, if I was 16, 17, and I, I would believe that. And I understood how that person who has been working with students who can pay a hundred or more dollars per hour believes that because that is their reality. And that was my reality. I thought that we could prep our way out of inequities, that kids just needed more prep, and that if we just provided them more opportunities, they could do it. And then I met the population that couldn't afford testing. And I realized that the curriculum is very different, that they're not being exposed in the same way, that the access is very different, that these students are not broken or deficient, that they're not not trying, that they're not these, because at the end of the day, if I start a student that's starting at 1100 and I prep them, I could probably get them to a 13, 14. If I start a student at a 15, I'm not getting them to, or let's say, let's actually take it to the SAT example because I just use an SAT. If I start them at a 900, the likelihood of them getting a 1300 when the other kid is one to two prep, the likelihood of burnout, the likelihood of them feeling uh, feelings of, there's a concept called self-efficacy in mm-hmm. the education, the likelihood of them not feeling like I'm broken through that process is really low. So you really don't want to prep a kid past two to three tests like you can, but that kid's not going to get the same outcome. And so the the plan, I understand, I get how you people believe. If I could do it and I work with certain kids and they can do it, then everybody could do it. I get that. You're wrong. Mm. Like that's it. <laughs> like you're just wrong. And I and I'm not saying, and people are like, well, no, but I do pro bono work. A lot of you doing pro bono work are starting at 11. Let's just be honest. You're starting, or maybe you're starting at 13. And we're talking about taking a kid from one state school, flagship school, to uh highly rejective, as Akil Bello calls it, school, right? (laughs) I get it. I get why you think that. You are wrong. And it's only when you have done concentrated, not sporadic, concentrated work with students below 19. If you come back to me and you've said, I've done a year of work with kids below 19, it's not that they can't do it. I'm not saying that they can't do it. I'm saying is this fair to ask them to be excellent when we're asking other students to be 
average. When certain populations are starting at 1100 and that gets them through the door and other students are starting at 900 and they have to work to get through the door, that's not an outcome that we should want. But also, um, when you and I spoke before, Jen, you talked a lot about the value of mentoring. And, and what, I, what I hear through so much of your conversation, both with No Child Left Behind and on your own private work is, yeah, we've got to work on, on main idea for, for a third grade reader. And yeah, we've got to work on test strategy and, and plugging in numbers as a, as a tool on a standardized test. But doing this in a way, you're doing this in a way that is respectful. And, you know, I know stuff that you may not know yet, but I'm working, kind of working with you, not on you, right? And I just, yeah. you know, because you made the point, you know, with, with some of the kids who have like, you know, 15s, you know, and, and, and with two hours of your work, they can get up to an 18 or 19. Well, that is, as you've already said so eloquently, that's not about their learning stuff. They already have that stuff in their heads, yeah. but, but how focused are they? How motivated are they? And do they feel, does, is it safe to kind of maybe dig in a little bit harder knowing that, hey, Jen believes in me. Stu, screw the ACT that says I'm not college ready. She's looked at me. She knows stuff. She says I can do this. Therefore, huh. You know, because that's the way, I mean, when you say, you know, the work you've done with kids for, for years and years of three years of tutoring, I just think of the benefit that, that of, of having someone other than mom and dad spend time with you one-on-one -on -one and say, you're important and I believe in your abilities. Well, and I also, I, I'm very honest. I say, I'll tell you if I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> I, I, like, and I that's love just it. The truth. I'll, I'll tell you if I don't think it's going to happen. But back to your point where, you know, the students, you build a connection when you're with the students every day. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm eating the same corn dog nuggets y'all are eating. We're like, <laughs> you know, like we're eating the same salads, but also. That's the takeaway folks. One better test course, corn dog nuggets. And I think one of the things that you have to build as a tutor is how am I going to connect with this student? And for me, a lot of these students telling them, okay, I, I sit them down and let's, let's orient this in the real world. What do you feel has not been touched by racism and bias? And they're like, oh, nothing, right? So then mm. why did you assume that this test did not have it in it? And I said, we can, we can overcome racism. We can overcome bias. We shouldn't have to. And I make that very clear from the start. Mm. I don't believe that this is what you deserve. I don't believe that this is a world that we should be creating, but this is the world that we have. So we have to get through it together. And when they get something wrong, I'm, I always affirm, like, I'll start a question. And when I'm doing the question, I'm like, now this is going to be tricky and you're going to see some trick answers. So I help them eliminate early and then let's solve. And as you're solving, I want you to keep eliminating because I want you to know that this is a hunger games and they have created <laughs> things to pull you away at every point. So then you have to say to yourself, okay, this is obviously a trick. Okay, they gave me this information. It's not helpful. Okay, and the more you start treating it as a Hunger Games, the better off you are and the less you take it personally. Mm -hmm. And then once we do that, you don't lose information. You, you're taking it as a game. You're not taking it personally. And so when they get a problem wrong, I'm like, oh, that's a really compelling wrong answer. And let me tell you why. So I, I teach them, oh, I see why you got that wrong. Or I say, I got that wrong too. And when I got that wrong, this is why I got it wrong. So 
you have to, I think we have to do a good job of explaining. And this is not just, I think sometimes people think I'm only talking about, you know, black and brown students. I'm only talking about students with disabilities. I'm not. You need to teach every kid that this test was designed for you to fail. And these are the things that can could make you successful. But my, I tell my students, it's my job to figure out if this test is going to represent you. Hmm. It's not my job to prep you. It's my job to make you feel confident. It is my job to make you feel in a good position. And if we've had two or three tests where you felt in a good position and you don't get the results, it's my job to create more options for you. I, I tell parents, I don't do guarantees. My job is not to get your kid a, a certain score. It's to make them feel confident and to know what options are out there if the score does not reflect their capabilities. So if I test, if I do your test prep and I can't get that score, then I'm getting on the phone and I'm calling people and I'm like, hey, I have a student with three point blah, blah, blah. They don't wow. have a good test score. It's my job to then position your student to feel confident in the admissions process. Hmm. I love how sort of kid centered that is. Yeah. Um, a question for you, um, mm -hmm. sort of almost finished the thought that that the test is designed to kind of be tricky, right? Because they, mm -hmm. they, 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 you know, it's kind of the nature of standardized tests and quote unquote reasoning test. Um, so folks might say, and you know, I'd love your thought on this, you know, th this test is tricky for everyone, right? So, so where, where's the bias in this? And so I'd love for you to talk, if you can, a little bit about how is the experience different for historically marginalized kids? How is the, how is the test or the experience or maybe the education generally different for under-resourced kids, knowing that those two things are separate, though they often, you know, sadly overlap and, and kids have, you know, challenges, you know, in, in both directions. It's not a space that I live in the, as much as do some others, but, you know, the DEI work of diversity, equity, inclusion, that, the, 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 you said it so well, that, that idea that we want you here, it's not just, you know, you, you fill a, a, a box that we have diverse, we have, the, you know, this many white people, this many black people, this many high scores, this many low scores, but that you're, you're included, you're, you're an important part of this fabric of this community and this college or university, whether you have a good score or not. And this is a predictable outcome. That right. is the thing that we are missing from test optional language. This outcome of you not getting a score might be a predictable outcome. So we anticipate that you might not need a score. We do not think that you're not qualified. We look at your GPA because four years is better than one day. This right. is predictable. This happens. It is not abnormal. You are not less than. We want you. We need you. Our campus would not thrive without you. It's beautifully said. Uh, Let's just be honest. The question is, is this going to actually get me into college? Let's let's yeah. just stop. Let's stop with the BS. Let's 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 actually just have the conversation that we need to have. Is this going to get me into college? And what I say is, if your kid is not a good test taker, then don't send them to a school that relies on tests a lot. Right. Right. Send them to a school that doesn't rely on it. You could get and you and I have both been in the situation. I know this without even saying it. You can get a perfect score on the SAT and still not get into Harvard, still not right, get into Yale. Right, so right. The pursuit of perfection, what we're really saying is, I am scared. This process is not clear. I do not feel safe. And so you have to say, I could put you in a better position if I get you a 75 percentile 
move our list to the schools that actually want you and give you something to be working on that makes you feel joy, right? Like it's not just pursuit of an admissions offer. It's not just pursuit. They become better people and then they stop caring so much whether a college will accept them. And it's hard when our entire culture is centered around it, but we just need to do a better job telling students, become a good person. And then at the end of this process, let's see what school wants that to make an impact on their campus. That's great. So I think we've solved test optional. If we've we figured out. Start over. Well, thank you for your time. Uh, and thank you. I, you know, I, I particularly love the work that you're doing, um, helping kids know that they can do better. And that even if they don't get the score that they think they want or should, that there's still a place for them, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, in this college admissions process and in colleges in the world. And that, you know, for all of us thinking through this process, we should all make kids feel wanted wherever it is that they show up, because that's, that's really the secret sauce of they're making the most of the, right. that opportunity of education. I love right. the way you work with kids. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, showed up on Virginia Tech's campus by accident and I made as much of a difference as I could. So I try to make sure that the students that I'm working with have the same opportunity. I love it. Jen, thanks for coming on and sharing your your, your wisdom, the way you work with kids. There's such great lessons for, for all of our students, not just the ones lucky enough to work with you. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for listening to Prep Talks. Please subscribe to us for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.